Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at NapaBroadcasting.com as we turn our attention to the state of the wine business. Wine imports seem to be up. U.S. wine consumption is flat. Millennials are getting their feet wet in the world of wine. Cheap Central Valley wine is over. Consolidation in the industry is growing, and boomers are tapering off their purchases. Couple all of this with a shrinking distribution system, more important than ever, direct-to-consumer sales, and you have a bit of a snapshot of the state of the industry going into 2016. This according to just some of this year's annual State of the Wine Industry Report from Rob McMillan and his team at Silicon Valley Bank. Rob McMillan is the Executive Vice President and Founder of the Premium Wine Division at Silicon Valley Bank, and it's my pleasure to welcome him here to the program today. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, that's quite an introduction. I was waiting for the part where we talk about pestilence, boils, and raining frogs. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> <laughs> Those are 2017. There so, are uh, there are some good things happening in the industry for sure, but uh, but yeah, as uh, as we know, it is quite an inflection point for the business. Talk a little bit about the report itself. How many years has the bank been doing this? And a little bit about why the bank took this project, you and the bank took this project on. Yeah, the, the report's now been going on for about 15 years. And the way it started was uh, when I was running the, the division, I founded the division in the, the early 90s when banks really didn't want to do wineries. They thought it was incredibly risky. We, we saw an opportunity and it worked out for us. Uh, and at a point, um, I just got to the end of the year and I thought to myself, you know, I'm just going to send an email out letting everybody know what I see in the business. And, and the reason I wanted to do that was because this is a private industry. You don't see financial statements, but I do. I, I get to see what's going on all around us, not just in the Napa Valley, but, uh, across the West coast in particular. And then my contacts as, as I've evolved in the business, uh, you know, are worldwide at this point. And so it just started off with a, with a, a, a newsletter during the holidays and, uh, and it's evolved from there to the point where now it's, uh, this year was a 75 page release. You say, you know, it's 75 pages now and it's, uh, a, a lot more detailed and a lot more involved than it was from those early days. Yeah. Um, you know, the f- first time I did the email, it took me, uh, Maybe, you know, an hour to write and send it off, and it was just, uh, you know, top-of-mind things. And then over the years, people start asking questions, and, uh, and you know, as I started to write, I'd have to say to myself, is that true? <laughs> and ra- rather than just winging it, I, I'd have to go back and research. And, and each year, the report became, uh, you know, probably more and more complex on the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, more and more thorough. We've added uh, a survey component to it now that is uh, nationwide, um, and uh, our our ability to collect data from multiple resources has uh, you know increased annually to the point where you know I mean like this morning I was talking to the uh, the chief economist for the National Beer Association of America and you know you get to start talking shop with with guys like that at that level and you know once again you have a perspective that's not really obvious or shared. Um, at other levels in the organization in the uh, in the industry itself, so I'm able to to put this out. And you know why we why we do it? We give it away for free, and and you have to at some point wonder if that actually makes makes a lot of sense because you know, we're a commercial bank and we make our money by making loans and 
taking deposits from our winery customers. Um, but, you know, does it make sense to, to educate all of our competitors? <laughs> Which is really what we do. <laughs> and, and I have to say it does because, uh, you know, if we can raise, you know, raise the, the watermark for everyone, including our competitors, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be good for everyone inevitably. And, uh, and I think relative to, uh, to our brand in particular, I think we're, we're viewed as experts and, you know, if somebody is looking for that from an organization, then that's a good fit. And so it's, it's worked out, I think, very well for everybody uh, across the industry and for our organization as a whole. What it also reflects is an industry, a wine industry, that has gotten increasingly more complex, that, it, that it's not the mom-and-pop winery anymore. These are, in many cases, even the small wineries, very complex businesses. And, of course, as you talk about in the report, we're seeing more and more consolidation and big companies that are becoming bigger and bigger players in this business. Yeah, the, the industry, in, in my—I've been involved now since uh, 1981— and uh, it's it's tre- it's evolved tremendously. I, I, I took a, a long time to uh, write about the history of wine in America in the report this year, which sounds really strange, but I I thought it was important because I had to back up the entire industry away from the day to day, and I wanted everybody to look at the long term trends that have been happening uh, for decades. And I actually started in 1850. Now I was I wasn't around then. I'm not, I'm not that old, but but. You know, some of these trends and cycles have, have been around, and and, uh, and in this case, uh, you know, we are talking about uh, what really is the end of the jug and generic wine that the uh, the boomers grew up with in the 60s, the matures and the silent generation. Those are the the wines that they drank, um, and uh, ever since the 60s, that that kind of consumption has been trending down, and, and now what we're starting to notice is the big wine companies getting out ahead of a premiumization trade, uh, they have to figure out how they're going to get ahead of, of a declining environment for those jug wines that they've naturally produced now for decades and decades. You know, Gallo is the biggest wine company in, in the world. And, uh, you know, they've been doing this now since, uh, if I'm in memory serves, it's, uh, I think, 1940. Um, so that now they're having to change their game along with the wine group and Constellation and others and now they're out buying properties, they're out buying brands, buying, buying labels, uh, buying wineries to get in front of this premiumization trend that uh, is actually, for the North Coast, uh, really a good thing. So despite the boils and the pestilence and, <laughs> and the raining frogs, uh, it's really a, a, a cycle out of the, the, uh, the jug wine and a cycle into the fine wine. Just the fine wine now is, is being coveted by uh, those big wine companies. And so that, you know, that portends a significant uh, change. Our our competitor, our uh, wineries here in the North Coast now, you know, have a a 800-pound gorilla as a direct competitor now. As these big companies buy more and more premium properties, what does that mean for the Napa Valley? Well, it it, it can mean a changing out of... uh, to the extent that they come in and uh, and buy wineries like Louis Martini, uh, recent Gallo purchase of uh, uh, property up in St. Helena, uh, the ranch, um, and you can go on and on with all the different purchases. To the extent that those guys, the big wine companies, uh, purchase uh, the historic properties in Napa, it could change the tenor of the Napa Valley in particular. 
Um, you know, there's a, a lot of discussion right now in the Napa Valley about tourism and uh, and its impact on the rural lifestyle of our community. And I, I acknowledge and, and agree with the fact that we, we have to protect that, uh, the character of the valley. Uh, to the extent we are focusing on these little guys that are making, you know, handcrafted wines, those are the guys that are actually, I think, helping the, the reputation of the valley to the extent we go toward mass production or, or, or bigger production. And uh, we'll have to see what that's going to, what that's going to look like. Is that going to change the character of the valley? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I, I got to tell you one thing. Those those companies are are brilliant in the fact that they have gotten out ahead of this uh, change in consumption patterns. Uh, they're five years ahead of everybody, and that's uh, that's just amazingly intelligent. And uh, the the money that they're putting into it is just uh, phenomenal. For these big companies, are direct to consumer sales as important to them because they have? distribution channels being as large as they are? You know, if they're selling a $15 wine, they're not. Because nobody, you know, you can just go to Safeway and go pick up that bottle. Um, but what's happening is the big companies rotating into premium. But what they're going to do is they're going to change from being the big company that managed a single production facility or a couple of big production facilities and made a bunch of different labels uh, with, you know, concocted wine, if, if you will, which is, uh, you know, like, uh, as an example, Carlo Rossi, uh, uh, Hardy Burgundy. You know, that's what, that's what I drank as a kid. It's still around. And, um, but that's just, you know, A, it's not Burgundy. It's just a, it's a bunch of juice that's all, you know, thrown together. And, and you, you know, you can do that kind of a thing in a giant production facility and you focus on production and you focus on scale of production and efficiency and, and cost savings. That's the way you drive down price um, and, you know, improve your margins and, and your ability to compete. Um, but when it comes to the premium wine segment, you can't do that. And so what you see right now is those big companies, they're buying, they're buying land, they're buying vineyards because it, it's, it, they have to change the way they, they do things. So what I expect to see happening, and we already are, by the way, is instead of managing a giant production facility, they're going to manage uh, a conglomerate of wineries and the wineries are going to, are going to be standalone. And if you're selling, you know, wines that are more high priced then direct to consumer is important. That's, that's going to, if that's what the consumer is, is wanting, then that's what you're going to have to do. So they will evolve into that as well. And as they evolve into that, is it your sense that these companies, as they become this conglomerate of these other wineries, is it your sense that it will allow them to be more nimble to various changes and pressures in the marketplace? You know, uh, the, the big wine companies are incredibly nimble already. Uh, they're, they're very adept at, at charting trends. Uh, they have a lot of money in research and development and marketing. They look at these trends. They're able to start a... Uh, a wine skew. They're able to test market it in, in certain places within the United States. They're, they figure out whether or not it's good or it's bad, what their demographic looks like, how to adjust it. You know, it's go, no go. And they can be in and out of that, or they can just expand the heck out of it. Um, so I, I actually think they're quite nimble already. And, and if you really want to talk about being nimble, 
um, or the, the lack thereof. It's it's really, you know, the, the wineries that are in the North Coast, Napa, Sonoma, they're not nimble. They're they're tied to their dirt. They're traditional industries. It's you know getting up, getting down, getting <laughs> getting up and uh, going to bed every day. Uh, you know, the harvest repeats every year. The bottling repeats every year. It's just consistency day in, day out. And, you know, they're not nimble. That's, uh, it's the opposite is, is, uh, of what you might think. Mm-hmm. One of the things you talk about in the report is that imports are up. Wines, foreign wines coming into the U.S. are, are increasing. Are some of these large companies players in that market as well? Yeah, you know, when you look at the United States distribution market, it's like importing, or let's go, let's take it from the European view. They're trying to export in the United States. They're really having to export to 50 different countries because each state, uh, post prohibition, has got their own laws that they've got to sort through, and it's it's quite complex. Well, uh, the larger wine companies, Constellation, is an example. Uh, I don't have off the top of my head how many uh, how many different wine companies that they own, but I'm going to say 40, 40-ish, something like that. And they own uh, a number of different foreign uh, wine producers. And Constellation is you know, a domestic company. They, they do have a very good distribution in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, to your point, uh, they, they own these foreign brands, and they're going to push them. Kim Crawford right now for Constellation is, is just rocking. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a brand uh, out of the Southern Hemisphere, um, uh, New Zealand, I'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. New Zealand. If not, uh, if not, it's uh, Australia. I can't remember now. Should smaller wineries then in the North Coast, Napa, Sonoma, North Coast, be worried about these larger companies having a larger and larger footprint? I think, uh, I, I don't know that you should be necessarily worried about the footprint because uh, there are there are times when the large companies actually bring marketing dollars into play and expand uh, expand the market. So, uh, you know, it may be a rising tide. You know, it's not the evil empire per se. Um, and, you know, to the extent that you are a, uh, a founder of a winery and you're getting up there in age and, you're, and your kids don't want to run it, they also have an open checkbook right now and they're buying, you know, they're buying property. So, uh, you know, I think that there's a, a value to them. If I was going to be, uh, if I'd be, I think that we should be concerned right now about the strong dollar that we presently have. Mm-hmm. And as I, I pointed out in the report, the, uh, the, the wine volume that I see increasing worldwide uh, combined with a decreasing per capita consumption in foreign countries that, that are, are the native producers of these wines, they've got to export and they're getting uh, subsidies to export. And so that's, that's a place to be fearful uh, especially at a time when you have uh, the boomers and the millennials who have all the wealth in the U.S. retiring, and they're being replaced by consumers who today, you know, the millennial represents about 4% of, of net uh, uh, worth in uh, its uh, total worth minus debt, uh, 4% of that worth in the country. So it's, they're very, they're very uh, narrow in terms of what they own. And uh, one of the slides I put up there in the uh, in the uh, live video cast, uh, which we ran yesterday, um, was uh, from Deloitte Touche, which showed that by uh, I think it was uh, 2030 or 2035, the boomers go from 50% share down to 45, while the millennials go from 4% 
to something like 16% over that same period. So they're always going to be a disadvantaged um, cohort. Uh, they're going to be frugal in the way they proceed. And I think those that's something that is going to have an impact on uh, on how we sell. They're, they're not going to spend like the boomers did. Looking at the past 10 years, or certainly in the period since the, the Great Recession, to what extent does the bank and do you look at the wine business as particularly sensitive to broader economic trends? Well, it, you know, it depends. Um, if you go back to the Great Recession, uh, you know, we forecast – uh, at that time that the industry would have 0% growth. And if I'm recalling correctly, uh, prior to that, I'm talking about fine wine, $20 and above. Uh, prior to that, I think we were at uh, 12 to 14% growth rate. So it was, it was quite a, 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 a gutsy call to say zero. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the prognosticators like to just kind of follow trends. If it went up 10% last year, you just say, oh, it's, you know, about 10% next year. <laughs> uh, zero is gutsy. And in fact, it came in at zero. But, you know, there were a lot of industries that did a lot worse than zero in the Great Recession. So, uh, you know, you have to look at that and say, you know, we, we did okay. And, and we really didn't have any bankruptcies to talk about. Uh, we, everybody had problems that they had to sort through. But certainly that was, a, that was an extreme example of things that can happen. You know, the things that happen in the wine industry are, are more nuanced and the, and the problems are uh, less about the industry itself and more about the individuals at this point. Uh, there might be a day where, uh, where you may see something that is more organic impact, uh, you know, the industry as a whole. You could have those things like, you know, back to our pestilence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, phylloxera was an example. Uh, we replanted all, all of the Napa Valley in the 90s. Uh, you know, that's an example of something that is, uh, you know, has obviously large economic impact, but it's more business model to business model right now in terms of, of, of uh, where you have issues and uh, the economy is a backdrop for that. And, uh, and there's a bandwidth in which you play uh, and you have to you be careful. From an economic perspective, though, is there any nexus between the health of wine tourism as an industry, both here in Napa, Sonoma, and the North Coast, or the rest of the world for that matter, a nexus between the health of wine tourism and engagement of consumers with wine and the state of the business? Well, there, there clearly is in, uh, in smaller wineries. Uh, the, large, the large wineries uh, with, with three-tier distribution in their pocket, they... Uh, you know they're able to get into national distribution, you know, quite easily. And and uh, the the small guys now, the average winery in the in uh, in the West Coast uh, has to at this point sell about sixty percent of their sales through direct methods. And when you think about the wine clubs in particular, you only maintain your memberships for an average of about twenty four months. So you get about two years, you know, you get a few shipments uh, from those consumers and then they wander off to somebody else. So, you know, the, the tourism, the, the local uh, hospitality, the visitors are critical uh, for the survival because you've got you to gotta replace 100% of your wine club effectively every two years. And the only way you're going to do that is by uh, by that kind of direct outreach. So tourism is is critical for the survival of those uh, those smaller wineries, most of which make up the Napa Valley. 
What are the biggest concerns that you're looking at right now in terms of the next year or two with respect to the wine business? Transition is a big one. Um, we we are seeing a lot of a lot of change. Not only are the large wine companies buying properties, but there are you know there's private equity, uh, there's uh, hedge funds, there's uh, you know uh, wealthy individuals that are that are spending a lot of money to try to um, you know get their uh, their ideal brand and and you know try to figure out how how they can have a, a share of, of what is a you know a wonderful business and, and a beautiful valley, um, and so that's that's a, a piece you know how do you transition that and I think that there's goods and there's bads in that you bring in uh, it used to be a cottage industry it was very recently a cottage industry it's evolving it's evolved uh, but you know we could stand having a few hedge funds private equity guys come in and help elevate the game for everybody from a business perspective. Um, on the same time, anytime, anytime you start to talk about that, you're going to have another group that's going to say, well, you're changing the cultures of the, you know, or you might be changing the, the character of the Valley. Well, certainly you're, you are changing. Um, and is change good or bad. Well, that's in the eye of the beholder. But, um, but you know, there's, there's positive and negatives to that. That would be the first thing. The second thing is, is although we've been able to get through uh, the last you know 20 years with almost every single year growth except one, uh, and we've sold everything we've made pretty consistently, uh, had really strong growth rates in, in the fine wine segment. Um, now I think we have well I know we have 27 percent market share uh, from foreign wine, and that is one of the predictions in the report that we're going to have. Uh, now greater market share being taken from foreign wine since we have this strong dollar. And I think we're going to start to feel the fact that, uh, you know, we, we do have these foreign competitors out there and they are getting market share from us. And what's that going to feel like as a, a seller of wine when you have a, let's say, a, a $40 Napa cab and you're competing against a, a $20, uh, you know, Bordeaux? That's uh, that's hit our shores, you know. Uh, certainly, the the younger consumers are are far more savvy. They're, they have far better availability to information and price. Uh, and when it comes to foreign wine, that's that's what they have been raised on, not domestics as, as the boomer generation. So that, that is a that is a concern of mine. They can, you know, this, the new generation. They got an app. They can figure out exactly where the wine is and if you're not living in Napa but if you're living in San Francisco or other metropolitan areas uh, using uh, an app called Drizzly you can uh, have you can have that wine delivered same day to your front door so it's never there's never been better availability of foreign wine it's never been easier and the consumers that are coming in have never been better educated about fine wine and about foreign wine so that's a concern that's a, that's a big concern, and I think in some ways we have to come together as a industry to uh, decide how we want to combat that. Mm -hmm. And finally, Rob, talk a little bit about what you tell and how you look at all of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs from the tech world that want to own wineries, that want to be in the wine business. Well, I, you know, I, I tell people it's a crazy business, and uh, and it's it's a dumb business for for uh, for a lot of reasons. It's it's hard to it's hard to make money in this business. So, uh, there are so many folks that, from the outside, think that you know it's a luxury lifestyle, and somehow that equates to making luxury returns. But the returns are actually quite modest. Um, 
And the reason that it's they're modest is because um, there are a lot of people that love this business so much, they're willing to break even just to be in it. Uh, or even augment it with their own cash from, from other sources. So, uh, you know, when I when I see people that are coming in from no matter where, I tell them that's you know that's the message I give them. It's it's a lot it's a lot more complex than you think. You can't bring in you know all your skills from another uh, another industry and say, oh, this you know I'm going to apply these skills and this is I'm going to make this big change in the business. It, it just doesn't work that way. You know, having been in this business, as I said, since about 81 now, uh, there was a time when I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, I got all the skills in these other businesses. I, you know, I, I can figure this out. And I'm, it probably took me a decade to have instinct just because it's such a complex business. It's so difficult. Um, and so, I, you know, I tell them, I start by saying good luck. And, uh, you know, I hope you have a, you know, a big wallet behind you for, uh, for the inevitable changes that you're going to have to make once you start to understand, uh, you know, fortunately, I'd say the other side of it is you bring it's uh, it, this isn't the mortuary business, right? It's fun, and you're bringing in people that are are uh, uh, they want to have fun. They're they uh, I hate to use the word passion. I think it's just such an overused term. Like one of the I got to find a new word for that, <laughs> but but they uh, they do come in with passion for the business, and you know it's infectious. It makes this community just a really cool place to be and, and, and a place in which to be involved. Rob McMillan, Executive Vice President and Founder of the Premium Wine Division of Silicon Valley Bank, talking about this year's State of the Wine Industry Report from Silicon Valley Bank. Rob, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, for your listeners, you can uh, upload the report yourself at uh, www.svb.com slash wine hyphen report. Rob McMillan, thanks so much. Thanks a lot for having me. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.